Well, we're um, continuing to look through the book of James. In fact, it's, uh, we come to the very last verses in the book, uh, right at the very end. And uh, that's one thing that's slightly unusual because they finish in a very strange way. People say that the book of James is all about doing good works and it's not about faith. Well, certainly James is immensely practical. He challenges us. I hope you've been hearing that over the last few weeks. He challenges us to control the tongue. Um, uh, somebody was saying to me after I'd spoken about the tongue a couple of weeks ago, they said in Russian, the phrase is the tongue, uh, the tongue is the sort of, is, is the, it's, it's a muscle, but it has no bone in it. Uh, so it can actually end up saying or doing anything. I hope that's sort of roughly the right sort of thing. Um, but it, we're, we're, con we're challenged not to speak evil of each other, not to grumble against each other. Oh, that's so easy to do, isn't it? You know, things don't go right and you start to grumble, to nitpick, to complain, not to boast, claiming I'm going to do this or do that, and forgetting God in the whole process. Not to swear or take oaths as if our words need enforcing. You know, I swear on my mother's life that I won't do this. Well, actually, why can't you just say, I won't do it? <laughs> Tolstoy, because of this verse, refused to swear on the Bible. He asked, how could he swear on a book which itself forbade him from swearing on anything? Uh, I'm not sure I completely agree with him. Um, I made my oath of allegiance when I was ordained to my bishop and to the crown. And when I made that, I placed my hand on the Bible. But I wasn't swearing on the Bible. I wasn't saying, if I don't do this, may all the curses that are written in this book fall on me, or whatever. Instead, I was placing my hands on the Bible, the source of ultimate truth, and I am saying, let my yes be yes, and my no be no. And James challenges us to treat all people with respect, not giving preferential treatment to the rich, especially in our Christian communities. In chapter 2, if you've got a Bible at home, have a read of it. It's about how when a rich person walks into the community, comes in, and when a poor person says, don't treat the rich person with special privileges. And he challenges us to show social justice, to care for widows and orphans, to show mercy, to clothe the naked and feed the hungry. And he condemns those of us who are wealthy for our exploitation of the poor. He uses words that could have been written by Marx. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Great stuff, but pretty terrifying. 
and he challenges those of us who claim to have faith but don't show it in our works. But we must not get James wrong. This short letter is immensely practical. It is about what we do, but it is also about our faith. It's about the Word of God which gives life. If we have not yet received that implanted Word, if we have not yet been, and this is the phrase James used, born again of the Word, then we cannot really begin to understand the Word of God. And we cannot begin to understand the letter of James. It's about the power of this Word of God. James describes it as a mirror, a mirror that we look in and we see ourselves both as we are in our sinfulness and also in what we are with Christ living in us and who it is we can become. He describes the Word as the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law that sets you free. It's about submission before God. It's about the sovereignty of God and trust that God is in control. It's about waiting in patience for the coming of the Lord. And as James brings his letter to a close, as he comes to these verses, he writes about prayer. He writes about healing and forgiveness, and he finishes it. And yes, verse 20 is the final verse of this book very dramatically by speaking about bringing back someone who has wandered away from the faith. Do you know James begins this letter of James with prayer and he ends it with prayer. He begins with the prayer for wisdom. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. It will be given to you. I used to think that that was a prayer for asking God, give me wisdom to know what to do. You know, um, uh, what should I do? Who should I marry? Where should I live? Which socks should I put on this morning? But I think instead that James is speaking of a wisdom as a grace, as a virtue. Other New Testament writers may say that this is a prayer asking for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, to fill us with his love. So in chapter 3, verse 17, I think you looked at this last week, but they're so important, this verse. He writes, the wisdom from above. This is what we're asking God to fill us with. The wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. So when we pray for wisdom, we're asking God to change us, to give us a new heart, that we will become like Jesus. And now in chapter 5, he speaks of prayer. He calls on those who are suffering, not to despair, not to give up, not to blame others or to blame ourselves, not to have a pity party, not to think that we're on our own, but to pray, to call out to God. He calls on those who are cheerful, for whom life is going well, not to become complacent, not to forget God, but to praise God. When God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt uh, uh, into the promised land, he says, when you get there, it will be good. It will be very good for you. 
But don't, don't, don't forget God then. Don't think that you don't need God. Don't forget that all the blessings come from God. And it's very interesting here that he tells us to sing. You've heard me talking about this before, but singing is so important. Yes, we sing in church, uh, but, but we also sing on your own. Yeah, make sure when nobody is there, it might be when you're in the, in the loo or, or, or having a shower or whatever and nobody can hear you. Uh, one of the sort of people I really looked up to was a great sort of, he had an awful voice. You did not want to sit next stand next to him during the singing of the hymns. Um, but, but he insisted on this. He said every morning he sung a hymn in his prayer time. And it's great because there's something about singing, singing the words which helps us to remember the words. And there's something about singing which actually lifts us out of ourselves and looks at God. And he calls on those who are sick to get in touch with the church elders who will pray over them and anoint them with oil. I like that. He doesn't say if you're sick, pray, because often if you're sick, seriously sick, you're actually not able to pray. The faith is not there because you are feeling so grotty. Why the church elders? Of course, we are all to pray for each other. Of course, that's something we are to do. He says that later on. As individuals, it will be great to see that happening. People just praying for each other. I've got a need. Somebody says, let me pray for you. But we are to call the church elders because I guess we hope they have, not because they've got any special power, far, far from it. Maybe they're more aware. <laughs> Maybe they're, well, they, not more aware, but they're certainly very, very aware of their weakness, of their lack of power. But, 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 but I guess they probably have more experience of walking the Christian life. But more importantly because they represent the whole community, even the wider church. I say this with some hesitancy because it means more work for me, but it does need to be said because it's here. If you're sick, and I guess I'm not talking about bugs or coughs or colds, if you're seriously sick, get in touch. Ask us to pray for you. If you can get to us, come and we'll pray for you here. If you can't get to us, will come to you. One lady in our previous church, she was a senior leader in a significant Christian uh, organization. She was diagnosed with something like motor neurons disease, a degenerative muscle disease. She took these words seriously. She asked several of us to go round and pray for her. So a group of us went, I took some oil, and we prayed and anointed her. It was a really special time. She was a private person, but she opened up and it was a privilege to pray with her and for her. There was no miraculous recovery, but that was two years ago, and she's been able to continue uh, to live uh, an active, uh, a very active uh, life. And I know that asking others to pray for us can be difficult because it means humbling ourselves before the other person, admitting our need, 
and being really open with the other person. This is not just about writing a name on a list, although that's important and that's good. It's not just about saying, oh, pray for me, or because I'm not feeling well. Again, that, that's okay. This is deep stuff. It's about being prepared, as it says here, to confess our sins. We're not saying that your sin has caused the sickness, but it does say that we need to confess our sins to one another and to put right what is wrong. James was not a fool. He knew that prayers can be answered very dramatically. That's why he speaks of the prayers of Elijah. He could also have spoken of the prayers of the early church. You know, they saw wonderful answers to prayer. Peter, miraculously released from prison. People healed, wonderful conversions. I could also speak of several people who I have known to be dramatically healed or of prayers answered in amazing ways. The Russian word chuda, wonder, is a remarkably important word in the Christian life because actually without Tudor, I don't really know where we would be. Alison was telling the ladies' Bible study group of how God answered just two very simple prayers that she prayed, but in a very, very clear, direct way. They were very simple prayers, but they were answered so specifically. And it was such a clear way when she was seeking guidance about whether we should come here. They were Tudor. But James was no fool. He also knew that prayers are not always answered as we wish. Peter was saved from prison for the time being, but James, his namesake, was put to death. James had probably heard of Paul's prayer. Paul writes about it in Corinthians. He prays three times, he says. And when Paul prayed three times, I guess that was pretty serious prayer. Three times, he said, he prayed for this thorn to be taken from his flesh. And God says to him, no, I'm going to do something different. And far from everyone is physically healed. But if you notice, maybe you think I'm clutching at straws here, James doesn't say that sick people will be healed. He says that sick people will be saved and raised up. That is ambiguous language. It could speak of physical rising up. We think of Peter's mother-in-law who was sick. Jesus healed her. She got up and served them. But it could also speak of the final salvation, that day when we will rise, the final rising, the resurrection from the dead, our ultimate hope. Perhaps that is why many parts of the church use oil for anointing just before death. It's the recognition that our final healing comes at our physical death. And when James does use the word healing, it's in the context of confessing our sins to each other and prayer for each other. Therefore, confess your sins to one, other, one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And maybe, maybe that is speaking more of community healing. As I was thinking this through, I wondered whether that is why this letter ends in the way that it does, which at first reading seems very strange. Having spoken about all of this, 
James then says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Full stop. People say James is all about works and not about faith. But at the very end and in quite an abrupt way, James focuses on what really matters. That people are part of the community of faith, worshipping God. That if somebody wanders, whether maybe because they're suffering, maybe because they're sick, maybe because life they've become very prosperous and they've forgotten God. We are to seek to draw them back into the community. You see, God wants us to be a people at peace, at peace with each other and at peace with him. He wants us to be filled with his wisdom, that wisdom of James 3.17. He wants us to be peacemakers who produce an amazing harvest of righteousness, that flows out of our peace. By the way, if you want to do a further study on the book of James, look at how often he uses harvest or crops throughout the letter. It's fascinating. James wants us to do the good works which flow from our faith. He wants us to be prayerful. Came across a great quote just this morning from Yancey on prayer. Life is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. Prayer offers no ironclad guarantees, just the certain promise that we need not live that mystery alone. He is with us. He wants us to be honest with each other, merciful with each other, right with each other. He really wants that we might stick closely to the truth, this law of liberty, the truth which sets us free from the law, free to be the people God made us to be, to do what God would have us do, that we hold on to it and persevere even through suffering, that we hold on to the promises of God and our eternal life, that, that we love each other enough to pray for them to challenge and to care, to welcome and draw people back into the community of faith, however costly it might be. And he wants and he prays that one day we will be raised up. Father God, please implant your word into our hearts. And would you produce that wisdom in us, that wisdom which is pure and good and right and true. And would you give us that privilege more and more of walking life with you, in communion with you. And would you heal us and would you raise us up. Amen.